title for today's sermon is The New to You Commandment. And uh, it's kind of how um, John describes this commandment that's coming up. And, you know, I thought of different ways and we use this phrase ourselves, new to you, you know. And I, I was thinking about, you know, you sometimes go to a garage sale, second-hand store or something, it's new to you. I was also thinking about the first car I ever owned was a, uh, was a Chevy Chevette. Um, don't recommend it. It's not going to be a vintage car. You're not going to see it at car shows. I think I had a photo. Oh, this isn't the Chevy. This is actually the truck. This was the second car I had, the Chevy. I don't know if they made pictures. I think they burned them all. But, um, you know, don't pay attention to the handsome couple in the, in the front. But my truck was in the back. And my truck was my first, like, like nice new car that I bought it, but it wasn't new, it was a couple years old and my neighbor was selling it and, and so I bought it and um, when uh, I told Keiko about you know, my truck years and years ago, you know, her quest was to find that truck. So we'd be driving and she'd go, did your truck look like that? And I'd be like, no, it didn't look like that. Or did it look like that? No. So finally I found this picture, but unfortunately we're standing in front of it I would frame this picture if we were on the side and you could see the truck. But it was new to me and it was, that was awesome. It's like, alright, I have, you know, even though it was a couple years old, had some miles on it, to me, it was new. But that's really not so much what John is talking about. When John talks about a new old commandment, he's actually talking about, kind of like if I got this truck, and I didn't really realize it was a four-wheel drive. I didn't realize what the buttons did, press some and music comes out, press others, air conditioning. But I didn't really understand that. And I just kind of drove it around and if it got hot, rolled down the windows. If I needed to be entertained, I just sang to myself. And then one day I started reading the manual and I started reading more about truck and I went, oh, it can do this and it can do that. Well, I learned about it. I now could use the truck and in my mind I might think like, it's a whole new truck now. But in reality it was a new truck. Same old truck. I just learned how to use it. Even that's not totally what John's talking about. Because what John's going to be talking about when he says this commandment is new to you, it's not just that this old commandment that's been around forever that, that now you know how to use it. He's going to say something even more significant is happening. Something that could never happen between me and the truck. Okay? Something where the new commandment, the old commandment becomes new because it will be written on our hearts. Written on our hearts. Keep that in mind as we read through what John has to say. And just, again, to remind ourselves, what are we doing here? We're talking about what a healthy church is. And we're talking about a healthy church is a, is a church of disciples, is a community of disciples. And disciples are people that, that are disciples of Jesus. They want to know Jesus They want to know truth. They, they, they pursue truth. They study truth. But that's not enough. They also have 
to live truth. And it's not really a, um, a complicated thing. If you really want to know truth, then it would only make sense that you would live it when you know it. And John is trying to help the church understand, you know, that, that part of what this means is that it's going to be expressed in the love that we have for one another in the church. That's it. It's, it's not super complicated, which kind of makes it weird that we forget it all the time. We think church is something else. We make it into all these other things, and we forget that fundamentally it's this community of faith, this community of disciples, who are, who are bound by this by the Spirit, and that's expressed in our love for one another. And that it's, it's not a love that's based on self, it's not a love based on what I get out of it, it's not a love based on how you respond, it's a love that comes from God, it's unconditional, it's sacrificial. It's not just love towards people that I like, that I even love those who are my enemies. And this is key to God's plan. For whatever reason, He's chosen this to be the plan. He's to say, He's saying, this is how the world will know. The world will know when the world looks at my people, when the world looks at the church, that's how the world will know. That's how the world will know I exist. That's how the world will know that I am the God who is holy. That's how the world will know I am the God who is love. That's how the world will know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth, died on the cross, so that we might be forever changed, we might be forgiven. That's how they know. That's how they'll know. And so, again, the question we have to always ask ourselves is, you know, okay, so what? How are we doing? Right? How are we doing? When the world looks at us, how are we doing? Haven't done it yet. Kind of scared to do it. But before I became pastor, I used to say this a lot to other people. And when I would guest preach at churches, I would say this. I, I would say that, what if you did a survey in a community around your church? Maybe just, say, two to three mile uh, radius around the church. You did a survey, and it's just a one-question survey. Just door-to-door, -door, meet people, call them all, whatever. But you do a survey, and you ask just one question. And the question is this. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear why Life Baptist Church? Now, don't shout out your answers. But if you thought we did that in this community, what do you think would be the number one response? Some of you might go, it'd be like, who? What? Ah? What is that? My life Baptist church. If that's the case, you know, if we, are we, Providing the evidence if people don't even know we're here? If they do know we're here, then what might they say? 
What would be the one word? Hey, let's make it easier. Let's not even go to the community around us. Just think if we did a survey of just the people who regularly come to Wildlife Baptist Church. One word. What would it be? If we're doing our job, we're not going to get 100%, right? It's not possible. People are people. They see things, they miss things, they misunderstand, they you know, get upset, work grudges, whatever. But somewhere near the top of that survey, what you would hope would be the word love or words associated with love. That's what you would hope. So, if God has said, this is the evidence, and it's not just Wildlife Baptist Church, it's every church that calls upon the name of the Lord, every church that says we're going to live according to His Word. It's not about the churches being perfect, it's not about the churches being, you know, pretty or big or, you know, whatever else it is. Do the churches provide evidence of who God is, who Jesus is, and the power of the gospel? Not in just what they say, not in just what they do individually, because most of you are probably really good people on your own. But who are we as the church? It's the prime evidence. And the world needs that. The world needs it because God's love, God's plan, the gospel, Jesus Christ, it's the only hope. There is no plan B. In fact, we already see this happening in the world as, as we move more and more into what's called a post-Christian America. We see this happening already. What's happening? Well, people either give in to hate, at least in Christian America, and I'm not saying, when I say Christian America, I don't mean America was Christian or 100% Christian. I just mean that Christianity was, was part of our culture where at least even a non-Christian person was aware of Christian things. And even a non-Christian person respected Christian ideals and Christian values, even if they weren't Christians. But when you move out of that post-Christian, I mean, out of that Christian society to a more post-Christian America, what are we left with? Well, we're left with either returning to our more base nature, and our more base nature is is that is that we 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 go back to the idea of, of self-preservation, survival. And it's survival of myself and the survival of my kind. And that could even carry the day if we could all agree that all of us who are Americans, that, that we're all our kind. But it's something that is rather remarkable 
about the United States. And it's something that, you know, we first see, at least in the history that I've read, back in Israel, that the United States isn't formed around the typical ways we think of our kind. It's not based around ethnicity. It's not based around some, some tribal descendants or things like that, lineage. It's not based on those things. It's based on, on an, an agreement. We agree. We agree to be governed by, by a certain set of laws and a certain system. We agreed with certain principles. And there's nothing else that holds us together. What happens when we disagree? What happens when we no longer agree about those principles and we think we should change them or disregard them or reinterpret them? What holds us together? Nothing. And what happens in our society? Polarization. People over here on the left, who can't stand the sight of the people over here on the right, and vice versa. Hatred. It's, it's no longer, okay, look, guys, we disagree, but we're all Americans. We agree to this idea. We agree to these things about these, the concept of freedom and the rule of law. We, we agree with those things. We, were, we agree that we're better together. Once we don't agree on those anymore, and there's no even like structure of Christianity to hold us together, then what? Then we get what we read in the news every day. And by the way, it's not one man's fault. If you read, there's enough hatred go around. There's enough people who, who, who no longer accept that, that fundamental Christian principle. And the fundamental Christian principle is my enemy's right to exist. And it's about extermination. If I cannot silence them, I have to get rid of them. And you might think, well, you're being such a doomsday guy. I don't think I am. Maybe you're not paying attention. Maybe you're not reading the news. Maybe you don't even look at, you know, some of the things that are that are said and you read through, you know, people's comments on news stories. Maybe you're not. You need to. It's not a doomsday era. I'm telling you, it's already here. Without God's love, without people knowing there's another way. They'll either give in to hate or just as dangerous. They'll give in to human conceptions of love. Human conceptions of love, divorced from, from Scripture. Remember, with God, it's not, the Bible doesn't just say God is love. People like to say that a lot. I like to say it because I don't think it was said enough, especially when I was growing up. 
But what I never forgot is that the same Bible that says God is love says God is holy. And those two things have to be held together. But more and more Christians are moving to this point like, hey, let's, it's just all about love. And then you ask them, well, what do you mean by that? And again, if non-Christians think this way, it's okay, I understand that. But when Christians say, you know, love is, you know, just, you know, let people live their lives however they wish to live them, as long as they're not hurting anyone, and yeah, we're there to help them when they get in trouble, care for them, that's love. Again, it's part of love. I think it's the love that we read about in Scripture. People need to see it. They don't just need to hear ideas. Oh, great ideas. They need to see it lived out. They need to see people, more and more people who say, I'm willing to stand up and live this way. Not just talk about it. Not just say I believe it. And so John, 2,000 years ago, writing to this church that's confronting this problem of these false teachers who are coming in and, and trying to redefine everything, reinterpret. And so in chapter two, verse seven, John says this. He says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Again, we get this new old thing going on. And what Christianity comes, and the reason we call it like the new covenant, is because this covenant, this this, this law, this commandment is going to be written on our hearts. It's, a, it's another way of saying it's going to become our new nature in Christ. And what we get from that, if, it's, if that is, if it's our new nature as believers, then what the walk away, the takeaway from that is that if you're truly a Christian, you love everyone all the time. get that. I'm the kind of guy that I don't like using absolute terms. Uh, because it's 
Rarely, if ever, something is always or never. When Charlotte and I first got married, my wife is very fond of using absolute terms. But she uses absolute terms not literally. She just a way like it's an intensifier. When she says, you never do something, she doesn't literally mean never. She's just a strong way of saying something. So, of course, we had some interesting discussions slash debates slash arguments when I'm interpreting absolute terms in a literal way and she's using them in a different way. So I rarely use them. I'm using it now. And I'm using it now because this is true. True Christians love everyone all the time. Why? Because if you become a Christian, if you have been transformed, if you are a new creation, if you have God's Spirit in your life, you can't help it. It's your nature. Now, understand, doesn't mean you're always going to get it right. Doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. Doesn't mean you're not going to, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, fall short. But it does mean that inside of you, you know that it's there. It's this love for everyone. Even if you try to suppress it, you can't help it, it just keeps coming up. You know, you might have that really irritating brother, you know, and you're just like, alright, no more. Not dealing with this anymore. And a couple months later, still this thing inside of you goes, ah, he's my idiot brother, but he is my brother. By the way, if my brothers are listening to this, I'm not thinking of any of you in particular. <laughs> that even if sometimes that love gets masked, that love gets suppressed, it sometimes gets hidden, it gets pressed under bitterness, it's still there. And we know it's there. And we're doing all we can to keep it in a cage. You see, We've talked about this before, and I always feel the need to, to, to repeat it because it reminds me, but I think we don't say it enough. And so we have to always think about this, that there is a difference between love, which every true Christian should have. Your nature is to love. There's a difference between love and the expression of love. The expressions of love is often choice. Expressions of love it's going to vary from situation to situation. The expressions of love are going to change from person to person. How you express love to some people is going to be different from how you express love to other people. How you express love in certain situations is going to be different from how you express love in other situations, even to the same people. Expressions are different. And the thing about the expressions of love is that is that even though the love that we have is from God, and because it's from God, it's perfect, our expressions of love, they're not perfect. We were talking a little bit about this in, in Sunday school today. That sometimes, out of love, 
You were going to do the wrongest thing you could possibly do, but you did it out of love. But it was wrong. You spoke when you should have shut up. You were silent when you should have spoken up. You acted when you should have held back. You held back when you should have acted. But if it's motivated by love, and it's pointed out to you that you made a mistake, you know it's motivated by love because you then don't feel sorry for yourself. You don't get, you know, go, oh man, I guess I'll never show love again. No. You say, okay, how, how do I do it better next time? How do I get it right next time? What did I not do this time? Because I still love and I still want to do what love And sometimes we have the perfect expression, the perfect plan, exactly what we should do, and we're really, really bad at it. You know, we think we're helping the scared child, but we're scarier than whatever was scaring them, right? Probably would have been better if someone less scary had talked to the child. We think we're helping. We even have the right thing. We know what should be done. But we just don't do it well sometimes. And again, when that happens, if it's truly motivated by love, you're going to say, okay, I'm going to get better. I'm going to get better at this. Or next time I'm going to bring in some help. Bring in somebody, and I'll be there to just kind of support. But love is unrelenting. When your nature is to love like God loves, it is unrelenting. It has to find expression. So when we do it wrong, we want to figure out how to do it right. So there's a difference. There's a difference between love and the expressions of love. If you've raised children, you know that. You know there are certain situations where kid needed to just be told what was wrong, stopped. Other times, let them make the mistake. Sometimes it varies from child to child. You know, one of my daughters, and whenever I say that, I'm usually talking about the same one. Um, she, she, we realized like she did not respond to normal methods of. of Discipline. Put her in the corner. She's going to enjoy herself in the corner. She's going to play games in her mind. No problem. If you tell her, okay, you can come out of the corner. She's like, oh, give me about five more minutes. Yeah, I'll be great. Right? Having too much fun here. Didn't matter what you told her. It just didn't work. How we had to discipline her is different. One of my other daughters, just look at her, starts crying. Feels terrible. How do we express things? Changes. And we need to know that. And that's why when we, when we have Jesus 
saying, you know, being asked, what is the greatest commandment? It's the same thing. It's love the Lord your God with all you are and love your neighbor as yourself. But again, what Christianity admits up front is that you are not capable of doing that on your own. It is impossible. You can only do it if you've been changed. Only if God's Spirit. You can try, but you're going to fall short. You're going to hit your limit. You're going to be able to love some enemies, but not all of them. This is what, when Christians love, and they love all the time, the thing is that love, it compels us to move towards what is good. Which again means we need to understand what is good. One thing you also have to understand about love and the expressions of love is that the expressions of love that, that, you, that you use, the, the, the arbiter and judge is not the person who's receiving the love. You see, what's happened in our world today is something that when we were younger, we knew was wrong, but now that it's become kind of a cultural ethic, it's it's weird. Like people don't don't realize it's wrong. You know, I remember you know growing up and you know in church, if if the rare times we might talk about like you know sexual ethics in the church, and it was always like, hey, if a guy or a girl says, "Prove you love me by having sex with me," that's wrong. That's not how you prove love. And we all knew that. But today, we allow people to say, this is the only way you can love me. You can only love me by, by accepting. You can only love me by agreeing. You can only love me by letting me do whatever I want. That's the only way you can love me. And if you try anything else, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm not going to just say you have a different way. I'm going to call you a hater. Because you won't love me in the only way that I want to be loved. Again, understand, we should listen to people. We should hear how they're perceiving things. But you cannot let people tell you the only way that they can love you. Or that they, they can be loved. It's, it's crazy. You see, more and more parents who do this with their kids, they raise their kids because the kid says, this is the only way you, you, you they, don't, they don't say it. They just act it out. This is the only way you can, you can show that you love know, The only way. Again, you cannot let people limit the way God might show love through you to others. Because when it's left up to the person who's receiving, a lot of times it's not going to be right and it's not going to be good. It's not going to be healthy. If they found themselves in a problem, if they're in the problem for a reason. And it's probably because they can't see the clear solution. Or because they can see it and they know it's hard. 
the worst thing that you can do is not to help them do hard things. It's not love to say, oh, you got those problems. Well, you know, it'd be hard to get out of those problems. Just live with them. Love would be more like what Jesus did, where he comes to earth, takes on our form, enters into our problems, and calls us out. We get this half right sometimes. You know, you know there used to be this song, and I love this song, it's called Jesus, Friend of Sinners. And in some people's mind, what they think is that Jesus has accepted all sinners. That Jesus was just friends with all sinners. He just hung out with them. No. That's not what a true friend would do. Jesus didn't just, just didn't meet sinners where they were. That's important. We don't do that nearly enough. But he didn't just meet them where they were. Out of love, he refused to leave them there. He made a way. He called them out. That's the full idea of ministry. That's the full idea of love. It's not just to meet sinners where they are, but to help call them out of it. Well, again, John makes really clear here, he uses this imagery of light and dark, light and dark, and he's talking about, again, this idea of love and hate. And he wants to make sure that you understand that hatred and God are incompatible. Again, love is relentless. And as we talked about two or three weeks ago, there is no safe middle ground. You cannot say, I don't love them, but I don't hate them. The way John is talking about this is saying, if you say, I don't love them, you now by definition hate them. And we don't like that. We like to have this safe place in the middle where we go, you know, I, I, I don't hate them. I don't love them either. It's incompatible. It's no middle ground. And we're not simply talking about the emotion we sometimes call hatred. Sometimes we have this emotion. You know, we really get upset at somebody. And we think of it as hatred. Just like we mistake the emotion we call love as love. But we're talking about true hatred. Whether that is truly wanting someone else's total demise, or whether it's just not caring. Whenever I do marriage counseling, one of the first signs I look for is, has one of the two stopped caring? Because what usually happens is the couple has problems, and then one of the spouses will be like, you know, they'll, they'll try, and it's not working. I'll say, we need, to, you know, we need to go to counseling, and the person goes, no, we don't need to go, and they go back and forth, back and forth. And the other person who's not pushing it thinks it's just this kind of regular give and take. But what they don't realize is the other person is becoming exhausted, emotionally, mentally exhausted. And at some point, and usually, sadly, it happens after they see me. But at some point, 
they shut down. They shut down. And they neither love nor hate their spouse anymore. Once that happens, I tell them, it's going to take a miracle. It's going to take a miracle. As long as you're fighting, as long as there's emotion, as long as you had a strong hatred for somebody, that usually meant the presence of some love. But when you reach the point of not caring, I don't hate them, I don't love them. If I saw them on the street, I wouldn't run them over in my car. Just drive by them. He's talking about that. You see, we cannot be that way and call ourselves children of God. We cannot be that way. Whether it's this feeling of just, just really no feeling, or whether it's this deep hatred where you want someone to be harmed. They're incompatible. He then uses this image that if you that if you love, you know, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. In other words, you know, this love, this idea of light, the image means that, that it helps push you towards being good, doing what is right. But he says, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And this is the danger, the danger of giving in to this hatred, whether it's that, that kind of just no feeling or whether it's that, that deep resentment, it doesn't matter. Whichever one it is, the danger is this. It blinds you. It blinds you. You will find people who are so blinded by their hatred that they then do things and they justify them as being good. They're blind. They don't even know they're in the darkness. What they think is right is wrong. What they think is wrong is right. And you might go, well then how would I know? How would I know? How would I know if I'm not there? If I, I mean, if I'm there? Well, again, part of the evidence is this, this presence of love. God's love that we know is there even if we're suppressing it. But if it's not there, we will sometimes do the right action for the worst reasons. Or sometimes we'll think we're doing what's right when in fact it's wrong. We'll think we're doing something that sounds just and sounds compassionate and it's not compassionate. If I go to the doctor and the doctor sees some huge growth on me, but out of compassion he doesn't want to tell me, it's not compassion. That's malpractice. No. We have to be careful. When we let hatred take hold of our lives, we can sometimes think we are being righteous. And in fact, we're hurting ourselves and hurting people around us. 
the biggest section of the scripture is kind of interesting. But it really can be summed up in just a short statement. Only true believers can accept the truth about God's love. When I'm telling you this stuff about loving enemies, and I'm telling you this stuff about that there is no middle ground, and I'm telling you that the evidence that the truth is in us is, is in how we live together and love one another and that, that that's, what, that's what God wants. When I'm telling you that, if you accept it, even if you are terrible at it, but you accept it and you go, that's right, that is true. John is saying, all right, here's why you can accept it. You can accept it because you know what it means to have your sins forgiven. Because you know Jesus. Because, because you know what it means to struggle against the evil one. And in fact, how to overcome the evil one. Because you know the Word of God and the Word of God abides in you. Because you know that, you can hear truth. But if you don't really know that, if you're not grounded in that, if that's not part of your life and your witness, these things I'm telling you make you want to say, that's got to be wrong. Or, that's way too scary. Please tell me something safer and more comfortable. Don't tell me these things. John is saying, I can tell you guys. I can tell you guys because I know you. I know that you know God's Word. I know that you've walked with Him. I know that as soon as I say it, you go, yes, that meets the experience in my life. I get it. I can tell you. That's what John's doing. When he says children, he's actually talking to the whole church. John, again, is probably a really old man. So when he says children, he's talking to the whole church. And when he says fathers, he's talking to the people who are older. And when he says young men, he's talking to the people who are younger. So he's not really talking to three different groups, three different levels. He's talking to the whole church, and then he's talking about the older and the younger. But this message is the same. He's saying, you can handle the truth. You can handle the truth. I can't do the Jack Nicholson from a few good men, but you can handle the truth. You can handle it because you know His Word, because you've walked with Him all these years. You know who Jesus is. And when you hear about holiness and love, when you hear about, 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 about uniting and being as one together, it connects with something inside of you. Something you know. And that's why it always comes back to this. It always comes back to discipleship. If we want to be strong in God's love, if we as a church, if we as individuals want to do an even better job of being a witness, of being evidence to the world about the power of the gospel, we need to know God's word. We need to become devoted to God's word. We need to understand the truth in God's word and we need to live it. And we need to live it here among each other. It needs to be evident among the brothers and sisters in Christ. It needs to be abundant. I don't do surveys, 
But if I did a survey of people coming to church, new people, and I asked them different things, you know what? I wouldn't care if they came in and said, your congregation is a little more seasoned than other congregations I've been to. In other words, old. If they said that, I'd be okay. If, if, if they said whatever, it'd be okay. I don't care how they described, described us, right? It, it, would, it would be okay with me, no matter how they described us. But what I would care most about is that they would come and they would go, you know, as a parent, not just that they welcomed me, but they genuinely love each other. And that's so clear. That's so obvious. That's so apparent. And I know what happens in Hawaii. In Hawaii, you're like, you're like, yeah, but this is Hawaii. This is, this is, this is, you know, local, you know, Asian culture, and this is how we show love. This is what it looks like. Don't expect us to be more expressive. I don't expect you to be more expressive. I'm just telling you that God gave us this mission. And it's not to fake that we love each other. It's not to, to do things that aren't real. But I think my God is powerful enough that the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to overcome all of our cultural norms. And we cannot use that as an excuse anymore. God's love has to be abundant here. I don't care if people say, it was so boring at your church, but God's love was abundant. Okay, I'm good. The music's just not my thing, but God's love was so abundant. I'm good. That's how God judges us. That's how I think we should judge ourselves. These are people who hold to God's truth, and they live God's truth in such a way that His love is so abundant. Again, John is pointing out to us this old, new commandment. And as we know, love cannot be commanded. It's an impossibility. It's impossible for us to love like God on our own. We need this love, this commandment to be written on our hearts. And then we need to give our lives to studying His truth and understanding more about how we are called to express this love in this world. 